0: And the reading tonight is from one Romans, sorry, Romans one, get it right, Romans one verses 18 to 23. And if you were here this morning, it'll be somewhat familiar. So Romans one starting at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men honour him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Praise be, Josh.
1: Well, uh, good evening everyone. It's uh, good to be with you uh, once again and, uh, yeah, good to have that uh, reading of uh, Romans chapter one again. Uh, so yeah, because we're in a series, uh, which, um, I think has been mentioned, uh, five uh, different sermons across uh, three weeks. Uh, because we're in a series, it does mean there will be some overlap at points. So, uh, but nonetheless, it's good to be able to get into this next part of our series with you this evening. Well, I uh, remember it uh, like it was yesterday. I was out uh, for lunch with a, a non-Christian friend who I hadn't seen for a while. Uh, we decided we'd head uh, down the road um, to, or close to his work, uh, to a little place called Grilled, which is uh, one of my favourite burger joints. And uh, it was great. We got a seat out the back. Uh, I got a chance to catch up. Uh, this friend uh, and I had known each other for many years. Uh, and as I uh, had matured uh, as a Christian, I found that I wanted uh, more and more to take opportunities uh, to talk to this friend about Jesus. I hadn't always uh, used my opportunities super well, uh, and so I found as I got older that more and more I wanted to do that. Uh, But... I had struggled, like I said, I'd struggled to find a way to do it. I struggled to find the right time to bring it up in conversation. I struggled sometimes just to even remember to do it. And so I remember this particular occasion, this lunch, because it was the day where I finally did get a chance to do this. I finally did have, end up having a good conversation with this friend. And so I was there, we were having a chat, and I thought, this is fantastic. At uh, this point, I'd been through Bible college uh, I, I thought, yeah, I know my Bible pretty well. I'll be able to explain the gospel to him. I'll be able to and answer any kind of question he has, like no problem. And for a lot of the discussion we had, that's, that's how it went. I was able to explain the gospel to my friend, praise God. And I was able to answer a lot of the questions that he raised as well, a lot of the objections. But then came one more question. This question stopped me in my tracks. One question that I'd actually heard before, but in that moment, on that day, I was not able to answer. What question was it? It was the question, what about those who have never heard the gospel? What happens to those people who've never heard about Jesus? Do they get condemned? Uh, even if they haven't heard about the salvation that's on offer in Christ? Now, I suspect if you are like me, if you're here tonight and you've been a Christian for a while, I suspect that you've probably heard a question like this before. And maybe, like I was in that moment with my friend out at lunch, maybe you're also not sure how you'd go about answering it. And so tonight, our task is to do that very thing, okay? to answer this question. Uh, it's the second week of our, our sermon series called uh, Five Burning Questions. And uh, what we're going to do each time is deal with topics that are often raised as objections uh, against Christianity, and, and this is uh, one of those. Now, uh, before uh, we kind of get into it, or just in case you haven't heard this question before, let me take a moment to unpack it a little bit for you okay what is what's this really getting at now this question arises uh, really from the fact that uh, even still today many people uh, do not know about jesus they don't know who he is or, or what he's done so here's uh, one example a picture is going to appear on the screen behind me uh, the, the island on the right there, a people live there called the Sentinelese. I hope I've pronounced that right. Okay, now, that's a small island in the uh, Bay of Bengal in the northeast Indian Ocean, so uh, not too far from India. Now, this people group on that small, tiny island, they are known for having consistently refused interaction with the outside world. Okay, they've consistently refused they don't want anything to do with anyone outside the islands. Now over over the last 50 years or so there've been attempts to reach these people. They've they've tried like boarding parties and this sort of thing, but nothing substantial has happened. Okay, and so the thinking behind this question is, well, there must be people out there in the world somewhere, people like that who are also living moral and, and upright lives, lives that would please God, but they don't necessarily know who he is. Right? That's the thinking behind this question. And so if that's the case, there are these people out there who are good people, but they don't know God. Well, if they get judged for not knowing Jesus when they've never heard about him, isn't that unfair? So the thinking goes, right? Because they didn't get a chance to actually hear the message that they needed to hear in order to be saved. It would be a little like if I went around uh, after the service had finished and I went around telling you all off that you didn't pack up the chairs in the auditorium after the service. Right? How would you respond to me? You'd be like, Josh, I, I didn't know that was a thing we had to do. You never told me that we had to pack up the chairs. Right? And you'd be right. You'd be right if I went around telling you off for that because I hadn't told you about it. And so that same type of thinking is applied to Christianity in this case. The question is, does Christianity condemn people who haven't heard about Jesus? Now that's not fair, so the thinking goes. So as we think about this question, well, how do we answer it? How do we come up with an answer to this? I'm going to look at two things. I'm going to be brief. We'll just say what we know. In, in response to this question, what we can know for sure and what we don't know. Okay? What are the things we know? What are the things we don't know? Now, the first thing to say about what we know when it comes to answering this question is that, like we said, there are a lot of people who haven't heard about Jesus. That's still the case today. Now, I looked at some official stats for this just to get a sense of the, the picture. The official stat, uh, as of this moment or as of 2020, is that there are approximately 2.4 billion people worldwide who claim to be Christian. 2.4 billion, that's out of about 8 billion. So that's almost a third of the world's population who claim to know, personally know Jesus. But that, of course, means that there are two-thirds who are not Christian. And of those, many people within that bracket would be considered uh, unreached people groups. Okay? Unreached people groups. Those are uh, people who have little or no access to the gospel uh, because the amount of actual Christians living among them is tiny, less than 2%. Okay, so some more stats for you. Of the 17,000 distinct people groups in the world today, Nearly seven thousand five hundred of them are considered unreached, and that's a lot. In pure numbers, that's three point three seven billion people are considered unreached. Now, of those uh, seventy-five hundred people groups, about three thousand of them are considered unengaged, unreached peoples. Now, that's uh, numbers-wise, that works out to about three hundred million people, and and those unengaged. Unreached peoples—they are people who have no Christians, no churches, no missionaries actively trying to reach them. Okay, they're just complete uh, non-engagement from the Christian world. Okay, so that means if we were to uh, to do an experiment and say we took uh, 100 people at random from across the globe, well, 31 of them would claim to be Christian, but 42 of them would be likely to say, who is Jesus? Who's this Jesus guy? So that means even with the significant spread that we've had of Christianity across the globe, it has spread far and wide over the ages. Even with all that spread, there is still a massive amount of people today who don't know much about Jesus. Now, you can look up the stats for this if you like. There's a, a website called the Joshua Project, uh, which has a lot of detail, and uh, this uh, particular group reckons that the majority of those unreached peoples, they're all living in the 1040 window, which is, if you look at a, a world map, it's the bit between uh, 10 degrees uh, latitude and 40 degrees latitude uh, north of the equator. Okay? That's the, where the majority of those folks live. But it's not just there, either. And we've heard, actually heard a little bit about this already tonight, that even in a country like Australia, right, and maybe you know this as well, where Christianity has been here for centuries, even in places like here, we're seeing an increasing amount of people who don't know anything about Jesus, right, who don't know what the central message of Christianity is about, who don't know perhaps that, that Jesus was resurrected, right, so it's happening even here as well. So what this means is, there are, what we can know about this question is that yes, there are heaps of people who don't know about Jesus. And hence this question comes up a lot. Now the second thing we can know is, well when answering this question, it's important to grasp, to remember, uh, this principle. Okay, the principle is this. We aren't condemned for what we don't know. We're condemned for what we do know. And now with that principle in play, it's that means at least on the surface that this uh, question has a pretty straightforward answer. Right? If the question is, what about those who haven't heard about Jesus? Well, using that principle, we'd say those who haven't heard about Jesus are not condemned for not having heard about Jesus. Right? But that doesn't mean... There are some people who aren't condemned who haven't heard about Jesus, right? We are not condemned for what we don't know. We're condemned for what we do know. And what is it that we know? Well, we had the passage read out earlier, didn't we, from Romans. This is where we go to a place like Romans 1, 18 to 32. And again, like Mark mentioned, if you were here this morning, you would have heard Craig talk about this briefly. Now, that passage is all about where we discover that God's wrath is falling upon humanity. It's being revealed against all humanity. Why? Well, because as the author, uh, the Apostle Paul says, we have suppressed the truth. So you've got to ask, what truth? What have we suppressed? Well, we've suppressed the truth about God. Okay, so let me read it to you again. This is from verse 18 of Romans chapter 1. In the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. In other words, uh, what Paul is saying here is everyone knows who God is. Everyone knows it. Well, how? Because we see it in creation. Creation has told us that's the case. And yet, as Paul says, we've all purposely suppressed that truth, tried to bury it. Now, the, the theological term for uh, knowing about God through creation, that's called general revelation. And so it's saying that we get a, a general revealing of God through uh, the created world. As we look around at the world, as we every time we see the complexity of nature, every time we see the diversity of nature, the, the uh, harmony of nature... It's like a, a megaphone in our ears screaming, there is a God who made it all. Right? And every one of us sees this, every one of us hears this message, but all of us, regardless, uh, rather than acknowledging the truth, we bury that, that truth and try and ignore it instead. Now, perhaps you're sitting there thinking, or maybe uh, you know someone who would think in response to that, well, hold on Josh I haven't suppressed this truth I'm I've just always believed that the, the world just came here by chance that the, that we got here by evolution okay that, that's how things it made it wasn't God it was just evolution I haven't suppressed anything well let me let me try for a moment to make the case that you are suppressing the truth okay let me try and make that case now the, the idea behind uh, evolution, Is that it is a mindless, unguided process. Okay, a mindless, unguided process. So, so change in creation, when you look at evolution, change in nature, it just happens. Rather, there's no one kind of behind the scenes pulling the lever to make it happen. There's no one directing where the the change, what direction it should go in. It's just happening on its own. Mindless and unguided. Now, let's say for a moment that uh, you need to go and buy a new car. So you go and find someone uh, who's selling a car. You ask them, you say, what's the manufacturer of this car? And they reply, oh, there's there's no manufacturer, actually. This car came about as a result of a mindless, unguided process. It, It evolved over time, and now here it is. Now, would you buy that car? Would you take that car down to the freeway at 100 kilometres an hour? Or well, what about if it was a Toyota in good condition? Well, then you probably would, right? Then you would trust it. Why? Well, because in the latter case, you know someone has put that car together. Someone has designed, experts have designed that car to work just right with all the safety features so you know it's going to drive properly. And the truth is, every one of us uh, treats the entire world in the same manner, right? We trust the world that it's going to keep on going like it has been. We, we don't expect to wake up tomorrow and discover that gravity is no longer a thing or that the sun has stopped shining. Uh, we, we don't suddenly expect to grow a new arm or, or leg. No, we trust that when we get up tomorrow morning, the, the world will go on behaving exactly as it did today and the day before and all the days before then. Right? We trust the world that we see around us. And I think that speaks to the fact that deep down, even whether we are willing to admit it or not, deep down, every single one of us trusts that there is a designer behind the world. It's not chaos. It hasn't come about through a mindless, unguided process. Someone's been pulling the levers. Someone's been directing things. And that someone, Paul says, is God. Right? The God of the world. He's the one that ensures that everything continues. Not to be chaotic, as you expect a mindless, unguided process to be, but ordered. Okay? The world is ordered. That's exactly how we find it to be. We trust it, and that tells me we believe that there is a designer behind it. So back to our principle that we said. We're not judged for what we don't know. We're judged for what we do know. And what everyone knows, everyone across the world in time and space, whether they're living on a small island like the Sentinelese or wherever, everyone knows that God has made the world. There is a God who made the world and we've suppressed that truth. And that is enough for us to be condemned. Now, that won't be to the same extent as someone who also knew about Jesus but rejected him, but it's still more than enough to condemn us and have us face god 's righteous and eternal wrath, and so that means when we 're thinking about a way to answer this question, really that the most important thing to remember for yourself for yourself as a Christian, the most important thing to remember is every single one of us needs Jesus, right no one will stand before God at the end of their life and say. God, I didn't know you existed, so you can't judge me. Let let me through. That's not going to happen. And the person who kind of is out there somewhere in the far reaches of the jungle, but also living a moral, upright life that pleases God, that person doesn't exist. Okay, Every one of us has rejected the truth about God. And that means every one of us needs Jesus. We need Jesus more than anything else. Well, that's the the things we do know that we can say about this topic. What about the things we don't know? Well, the short answer is there's a lot. There's a lot in this particular topic that we can't talk about conclusively. And that means that I think when we do come to answer this question, we've got to be really careful not to point fingers at others to say, that person over there, they won't be saved because they haven't heard about Jesus. Why do we need to be careful? Well, because this is something that God has the final say over. You and I, none of us, we don't determine who gets saved and who doesn't. We don't determine how much a person has to have heard about Jesus in order to believe. All of that rests in God's hands. And he's revealed a lot of that to us, but it still is ultimately God's move. And the Bible's clear about this, that, God and his in his thinking in his uh way he acts those things are higher and greater than ours so god says this in isaiah he says for as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts and now that means there are just things uh we don't know about what god does uh in this sort of space Right, so let me give you a couple of examples. Example number one, God could bring someone to Christ through extraordinary means. Right, now, a classic example of, that, of this that we find in Scripture is the story of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. Okay, now, Cornelius is a Gentile. But he's described as a devout man who is a God-fearer, who feared God. And yet he doesn't know who Jesus is. He's not trusting in Christ. Now, he had a general revelation from the world. He knew that there's a God and he's seeking to be God-fearing. But he doesn't have the message about salvation through Christ. And so what did God do? Well, you can read it in Acts chapter 10. He sends an angel to appear before Cornelius in a vision. Okay, Read about this in the early part of that chapter. And the message from the angel was for Cornelius to get up and to call for the apostle Peter to come and visit him. And the apostle would come and share the gospel with him. Right, And that's exactly what happened. Uh, there was also a vision for Peter where he was to go and speak to this guy. And so Peter comes along and he meets up with Cornelius. He shares the gospel with Cornelius. And Cornelius and a bunch of other Gentile folk are saved. Okay, That all happens in chapter 10 and 11. Right, so yes, Cornelius does hear the message itself from an apostle, and we hear it from the apostles as well through God's word. But without that extraordinary means that God provided by way of that initial vision, well, it wouldn't have happened. Right? So God can use extraordinary means to bring someone to know Jesus, to, to learn about the gospel. And so for all those who are out there, the, the many, many, countless many who are out there who don't know Jesus right now, we've got to be careful about ourselves saying conclusively who's going to hell and who's not, because we just don't know what God might do, what extraordinary means he might use to bring people to know Jesus. Our second example, our God can bring someone to know Jesus even in their final moments. Yeah, now, um, we've talked about uh, God's using uh, extraordinary means to reveal himself to people. And he can certainly, of course, do that even when a person only might have uh, moments to live. Now, we, when we think about someone who's uh, moments away from dying, uh, you might typically think that their chance to be saved is probably over. Right, we can go. There. They're too far gone. That's it. There's no more chance. I remember uh, visiting my nana uh, in hospital or in um, an aged care facility some 10 years ago. This wasn't uh, long before she died. Uh, I, she was very frail. I uh, remember the time she wasn't responsive uh, to anything. So I was there, and I, I had just started an apprenticeship here at this church, and so I was telling her a bit about it and what I was doing and, and about Jesus, and she wasn't a Christian as far as I knew. But from how it looked, well, there was no active response from her. It didn't look like it registered. But the truth is, I just don't know. No, the truth is, God could make it work if that's his will. Well, how do I know that? Well, because I, I'm sure he could save someone in their final moments because we've seen him do it before. Okay, so let me read to you from Luke chapter 23, Starting at verse 39, it says this, One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, railed at Jesus, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed, justly, for we are receiving the due deed of our rewards, But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he, that Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. That's the story of the thief on the cross. The one person that thief needed to meet, the one person he needed to hear from in order to be saved is the exact one that God provided for him in his final moments. right? One chance is always needed, and God provided it as he was literally dying. Now, if God can do that there, well, why can't he do something similar for someone else? Now, with all that being said, what should our response be uh, to this question? Like we, we thought a little bit about uh, what we know, what we don't know. What should our response be? Well, none of this means that, uh, you know, because God could save people in extraordinary means, none of this means that we can then sit on our hands and go, hey, God will save them if he wants to. He's got it. We can relax. Right? No, our mission is very clear. Again, we get this from the pages of Scripture. Our mission as a church, as Christians, both individually and corporately, is to go and tell the world about Jesus. To make sure that when uh, someone raises this question, uh, what about those who haven't heard, we can say, there's no one left. Everyone's heard. Right? That's where we want to get to. We want to get to the position where no one uh, can raise this question anymore because everyone has heard about Jesus. Here's what the apostle Paul says about this in Romans chapter 10, starting at verse 13. He says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he goes through a process. He talks about the process of how that happens. He says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who who preach the good news. Okay, we talked about extraordinary means God can use. This is the ordinary means that he uses to reach people. Now this is the way God brings people to know who Jesus is, to believe in His name, right? It's through the preaching, the sharing of the news about Jesus. As people read the Bible with non-Christians, as we take those moments that we have to share that news with those around us, right? About His, about Christ's perfect life, about His sin-bearing death, about His life-bringing resurrection. Now that is the message, that's the ordinary means that God uses to save people. And so if there's one thing we should do in response to this question is to be, as a church, to be on mission, to be committed to reaching the people around us with the news of the gospel, to be looking at how, how can we reach Bull Creek? How can we reach our surrounding suburbs? How can we reach our families? How can we share so that more and more people know who Jesus is? Now, like Craig said this morning, if, if people know who he is and then reject him, well, that's that's something they, they're free to do, but that's on them. Okay? It's up to us just to share that news with as many people as possible. Okay, God asks us to be his mouth and his feet, so to speak, so that through us, those who don't know Jesus might come to know him. Now, there's one last thing to say, one, one way in which we need to respond to this, and it has to do, I think, with the question that lies behind this question. And really, what, what this question is getting at is, is God unjust? Is he unfair? Will he condemn someone when they haven't heard what they need to hear in order to be saved? Now we've spent a little bit of time thinking about that already, but what we haven't said is this: despite the facts that uh, there are some things about this question that we don't know, well, what we do know, what we know conclusively, is that we can trust God to do what is right. In other words, we can trust God, even though we might know all, might not know all the answers. We can trust God to act in a just manner. Now, you can't always do that with, with people around you. You can't always trust others, but you can with God. Now, that's particularly important. If you're a person who perhaps is objecting to Christianity because of a question like this, or maybe you're here tonight and you are a Christian, but this, this question raises serious doubts for you. The truth is, what we can know about God is that he will do what is right in the end. In fact, this very thing is said about God uh, in Genesis, in the book of Genesis. The, um, uh, Abraham, as he is bargaining with God to save people who are in the city of Sodom, which is a city full of wicked people, uh, and he says this in verse 25 uh, of uh, Genesis. I think it's Genesis 18. He says, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? That's what Abraham believed. And how does he know that God will be just in his judgments? Well, for one thing, God isn't corrupted by sin. Now, it's our sin, our desire to... To crown ourselves, to make ourselves the kings and queens of our own lives, it's that sin that makes us poor judges. And we have to make judgments about other people all the time in all a myriad of different ways. And when we do, we can't help but have our sin get in the way, whether that's through our own biases or whether that's through like a desire for Revenge or whether it's through jealousy or just pure negligence when we relate to people or whatever. When we judge people, even if we might make a correct judgment about someone, that's still, our sin is still present making it a fallen or faulty judgment. But there's no fallen judgment with God. When he judges a person, when he judges you, when he judges me, he does so perfectly. He is fair. He is completely fair. And, and uh, we read again in scripture. Paul says this in the uh, reading that Mark read earlier from Acts chapter 17 when he's in Athens. As he's giving the speech to all these uh, people who don't know about uh, Jesus. He says, God judges in righteousness. All right? He judges rightly. When he makes decisions about things, whatever that might be, he always does what's right. We judge one another in sin, but God judges in righteousness. He will do what's right. That's just who he is. Does that mean I just have to take his word for it? Well, we should, right? He's God. I'm not. We're not. So yeah, good thing to take his word for it. But we don't just have to do that. We've seen him do this as well. Uh, we've seen his perfect justice displayed already. Where? Well, we see it at the cross. We we see it where Jesus, the, the one who God appointed as judge of all the earth, we see it where Jesus hangs on a cross rather than condemn all humanity to hell. It's something we deserve. Right? We deserve that and, and we don't get it. Now, have you seen a merely human judge do something like that? Not just take the place of the defendant in the defendant's stand, but then also take the guilty defendant's punishment in their place as well. But no, no one does that. No judges judge, and and the guilty get punished. That's how it works. But not with Jesus. He, the great judge. Willingly hung on a tree, on a cross, in order to make things right, even though he's the innocent party. That's what Jesus was willing to do for people like you and me. People who, whether we had heard about him or not, have known about God and actively suppressed the truth about him. That's what Jesus does. That's where we see, on the cross is where we see God's perfect justice and his perfect love all in one. And there's nothing else like it. So we may not know everything about uh, this topic when we think about how to answer it. We might not know everything. But we know more than enough. We know that God will do what is right and we can trust him on that because he's shown us that's the case in what he's done for us through Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we we come before your throne of grace uh, knowing we don't deserve to be anywhere near it because of uh, who we are and what we have done. We acknowledge that we have all suppressed the truth about you. We have all rebelled against you. And we all rightly deserve condemnation. We all rightly deserve to be sent to hell. And yet, Father, by your grace, by the the blood of the Lord Jesus, by faith, uh, we can be judged as righteous. We can be judged as perfect. Because the Lord Jesus takes our guilt, our sin upon himself and gives us his perfect righteousness. Our Father, this this amazing picture of justice, of dealing with sin and of love, of your amazing grace, is so wonderful. We pray that as we think about answering objections to uh, the questions that our uh, friends and family might raise. Would you help us always to remember the grace, incredible grace, that we have been shown and how uh, the Lord Jesus really represents uh, your um, justice to the world and, and helps us to answer this question, to see that uh, despite the fact that many do not know you, we know that you will do what is right. Father, we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, amen.